program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your public radio location for no hype real estate investing education for investors at all levels of knowledge and experience. Today we're talking insurance. I know sexy, right? Insurance. Yeah, everybody needs it. Most of the real estate investors I know have it all wrong. They either don't have the coverage they need or they have more they're paying for more coverage than they need to. And we're going to talk today about what the realities of the insurance you need are and also how to ensure those weirdo deals that you do, like subject twos and when you sell on land contract and have a tenant in the house who's not a tenant anymore, he's a buyer. We're going to talk about all of those things with uh, Tim Norris from NREinsurance.com today. But first... Don't forget that the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati is holding its annual trade show a week from tomorrow. That's May the 20th. This is a big deal event because uh, folks from all over the region come to check out our vendors and service providers. Folks like investment-friendly lenders, title companies, termite inspecting services, insurance, building materials, all kinds of cool stuff all fighting to get your business in the upcoming year. Plus, there's tons of door prizes throughout the evening. It will not be held at the usual location. So check out CincinnatiRia.com to get directions to receptions in Loveland, which is where the next meeting is being held. Or you can also call 859-292-7342 if you would like to be a vendor at Ria's upcoming vendor show, if you have a product or service to offer investors and landlords, there is still time. Again, the number is 859-292-RIA, and you want to talk to Scott. Just ask for Scott, and he will help you out with that. But back to today's topic. And by the way, if you have any questions about your insurance, understanding what you have, what you ought to have, what you don't need to have, Give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. My guest today is Tim Norris, owner and president of NREinsurance.com. He's been specializing in working with real estate investors and landlords for all their weird insurance needs since 1991. He's been in the insurance business since 1987. And he's sort of our go-to person here on Real Life Real Estate with all insurance questions. Welcome, Tim, to Real Life Real Estate hey. Investing. Hey, thanks, Vina. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, been a while since we talked about insurance. And um, 
I did a review of my own insurance about a week and a half ago and uh, made some changes to it and uh, up some values, lowered some values based on the current market value, added some, added some stuff, subtracted some stuff. And everybody probably needs to do that at least once a year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, at least, definitely. I think the more that you're involved, I guess, from a perspective of how many properties you do own, manage, or control, I think that maybe even uh, more often, the, the more that you have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Tim, you know, most most folks, at least when they first get into the real estate business and, and begin to own properties, because that's, you know, obviously you don't get insurance when you're flipping property, when you're uh, wholesaling properties. But uh, the first thing they do is they call up whoever is holding the insurance on their home and they say, can I add this rental property to my home policy? And generally the insurance says, yeah, no problem. And does something <laughs> to the to the existing policy, and uh, you know the, the the new investor thinks they're insured. Is that uh, what are the pros and cons of, of doing that sort of thing? Well, I think the pros are probably fairly self evident in that typically that's a less expensive, and I hate to, I like to avoid using the word cheaper, but it's usually a less expensive way to do it. Well, what they say, like Mom always says, you know, you get that for what you pay. So typically, if the rate that you're paying for that dwelling fire, that personal lines type policy, which is really what you're describing, where you're tying in your liability potentially to your personal homeowner's policy, is less, but you're giving up quite a few benefits that I think the the commercial type policy form gives you as a real estate investor. I think too many agents out there um, promulgate information such as, oh my gosh, this is your fourth property, we're going to need to go to a commercial policy. Like the commercial policy is a bad thing. Um, Some of the quick benefits that a commercial policy is going to give you over that aforementioned personal lines policy are um, some things you'd think of, some things you wouldn't. But one of the glaring things, especially those of us here in the Midwest who tend to have gas furnaces, is there's a pollution exclusion on most dwelling fire policies. Well, as a real estate investor, you're maybe scratching your head thinking, well, what's pollution have to do with my investment property? Well, by definition, carbon monoxide is a pollutant. And if that is excluded from your liability policy, if, God forbid, one of your tenants gets sick or, you know, or if, God forbid, dies, you may not, not only not have protection for that on your liability policy, you may not even have the defense as part of your coverage. A commercial policy, believe it or not, excludes from that exclusion in most cases pollution that emanates from a heating source. Again, small thing from a verbiage perspective, but a big thing, especially for those of us who who may have carbon monoxide exposures within our properties. Mm -hmm. Just one big advantage to the commercial policy. Another thing that a commercial policy is going to do for you typically is allow you to add multiple properties to one master policy in a lot of cases. Helps you simplify your world as you grow your portfolio of properties and, and and realistically keeps premium down premiums down on a per location basis the more that you add mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um, let's ta- let's let's talk uh, about some definitions here okay because uh, you you insurance guys talk like everybody knows what what exclusions and builders risk and you know all of, sure. all, of all of these terms are and uh, we're, we're what we're what we're heading toward here 
is what is it that real estate investors and landlords actually need in the way of insurance? Uh, what are they likely to get and what do they not need at all? So let, let's start out by talking about the parties that are in an insurance policy, because like I know every time I insure a house and a bank has a mortgage on it, the bank's name is on the policy. Sure. Yeah, typically those mortgagees are always going to want protection. They want to make sure that that policy is in force in the event that that collateral, the property itself, of course, is damaged, whether it be catastrophically or otherwise, in some sort of claim. Um, you obviously, people have heard some of these terminologies and maybe not been able to relate or understand exactly what they mean, but first and foremost is the first named insured. First named insured is that entity, whether it be a person, a, a company, an LLC, a trust, that garners the benefit from the policy itself, whether it be the property or the liability coverage. Any other entity involved, whether it be a loss payee, which may have property benefit, even relative to just a specific location, or a specific item, such as a copier you may have on a business policy. Typically, leasing companies like to be named as loss payees on commercial insurance policies for, for clients of ours. Um, but a loss pay is going to garner those property protection benefits. An additional insured, um, I'll give you a quick example on a, on a contractor's policy. A lot of times um, vendors may want to be named as an additional insured on a contractor's policy to ensure, E-N-S-U-R-E, that they are protected in the event that that contractor does damage, whether it be property damage or bodily injury. I mean, the third parties, all of those that I just mentioned, other than the first named insured, are commonly referred to as third parties. Just that. The two parties predominantly involved in an insurance contract are the insurer itself, the insurance company, and, of course, the first named insured. Anybody else, and I'm going to segue into something here in a little bit and get when we get through our questions here, but any other entity in there is, for lack of a better term, second fiddle or in line behind the first named insured. In the instance of a property claim, the first named insured, XYZ Properties LLC is a hypothetical example. If a property claim occurs, that claims check is going to be cut with their name on it. Mm -hmm. If there happens to be a, a mortgage company involved and there is a loan still on the property, of course, that lender, in the event of a quote-unquote total loss, that lender is also going to be named on that claims check. If you're um, involved with, um, we're going to get into the creative financing, how to properly insure some of those um, strategies here in a little bit. But if if you happen to be a in the, in the middle of a sandwich lease, for instance, and you may have some benefit relative to the end value of a property that you hold that you're in the middle of the sandwich, so to speak, you may certainly want to be named as a loss payee to at least protect that spread or that profit that may be there in the event that a claim wipes that property out. So, again, we could probably go on a lot longer than we have the time for, but, you know, those are kind of some of the generic or at least uh, off-the-cuff definitions on some of those things. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Tim Norris, owner and president of NREinsurance.com. We're talking today about insurance issues for the real estate entrepreneur. You can give us a call at 772-9658, or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati, presenting its annual trade show on Thursday, May 20th from 6 to 9 p.m. Over 40 vendors will show investors and landlords economically feasible services they use every day, 
More information about the trade show or becoming a vendor at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiRIA.com. Checking out traffic right now. Accident Evendale, Glendale, Milford in Evendale. Also North Bend at Vine Street. Uh, delays usual spots among them. Uh, northbound 75, uh, a little slow around 74 up through Paddock. Norwood Lateral maybe a little heavier than usual. Westbound approaching 75. Weather forecast from the National Weather Service. Cloudy skies tonight. Another occasional shower or two overnight tonight as we get down to around 48 degrees. Tomorrow, a high temperature of 78. And uh, again, a 40 or 50% chance of showers, pop-up showers, but also a little sun mixed in uh, for your day tomorrow. Looks like the weekend should be uh, pre pretty dry, at least on Saturday. Right now, we're uh, right around 80 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. WMKV is proudly supported by the new Kensington Place Apartments at Mabel Knoll Village. The 56 new apartments offer a wide variety of floor plans and access to all the services and amenities available through Mabel Knoll Village. The new Kensington Place Apartments, a place to live an active lifestyle in retirement. More information on the new Kensington Place is available at 513-782-2717. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. The topic today is insurance. And the question you need to ask yourself, real estate entrepreneurs, is do you even know what kind of insurance you have? Or did you just go to your to your guy who carries your car policy and say, give me insurance? And he did. And you don't even really know what you're covered for. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call with any questions. You can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Now, Tim, of course, the, the, the line that, that we're always walking with insurance is try and pay as little as possible now and yet have the best possible coverage if anything actually does happen. So... Let's sure. let's talk about some of the things that are going to affect the price of our insurance policy on a on a year to year basis. Uh, for instance, let's talk about whether real estate investors actually should have replacement cost coverage. And I think I wish there were just a panacea push a button and determine that yes, it's good to have replacement cost or it isn't. But I think that really is subject to what the end game or what the ultimate end plan is, property by property even, for any individual investor. In other words, in the event of a catastrophe, whether it be a fire burns that property or a tornado blows it down, what would you do with that location? Give you a quick, for instance, with all the quote-unquote great deals that are going on out there, people are paying five, ten, twenty thousand $20,000 for a single-family home in a lot of areas. If at the end of the day that thing burns to the ground or blows away in a tornado, You'd simply want to cover that financial investment and move on and find another one. Well, then in replacement cost insurance, that type of coverage that allows you or at least gives you within certain parameters the ability to rebuild that structure may not be the way to go. I've had a long-term client that I know, not, being a national radio show, not all your listeners are familiar with the greater Cincinnati area, but for you and I, it's, it's easy to understand these um, different parts of the city. I had a client that had a 12-family nice little apartment building out in Batavia on the east side of Cincinnati. Long time. The challenge is they paid a while back, I think it was $125,000 for this nice 12,000-square-foot building. It was always rented. It had people lined up to lease it just because of the area where it was. 
Well, even though they paid 150000 for it, technically that's more of a market value, not an actual cash value, which I'll touch on here in a second. But the replacement cost, the cost to build that thing back up, was obviously significantly more than 150000 However, because it was always rented, it had people you know, on waiting lists to get into that building just because, again, where it was, in the, it was in their best interest to actually to insure it to a significant amount more than the actual cash or the market value that they had in that property. So, again, I think the answer to that question is relative to your end game or your end plan, even on a location-by-location basis. Now, now, bear in mind, replacement cost is, is kind of like uh, beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. You could give 10 different insurance folks the same property and tell them to give you a replacement cost evaluation, and you'll probably get 10 different numbers. Now, now, granted, they'll probably be in, you know, very close to one another, but still, they're, they're, the Marshall & Swift Beck, um, which is a um, property evaluation software, a replacement cost evaluation software that's very almost universal in the insurance and many other industries, it's very, call it what it is, you can manipulate it very easily. There's a significant difference, a quick, for instance, between um, hardwood floors and carpeted floors, between you know, drywall and gypsum board, between plaster ceilings and drop ceilings, all those other things that, that really come down to what it would cost to put a building back together. Now, all that stated, the replacement cost of a policy or the, the, is realistically the coverage that you would need to build it back up of like kind and quality today. So, again, to get back to the 12-unit apartment building in Batavia, if that's your location and you want to make sure you can put it back together, then let's just say it would cost a million dollars to rebuild it. Well, that's the type of coverage you would need in the event that, again, a claim would gut, or a fire would gut it or a tornado would blow it down. Now, there's a misconception out there that what is commonly referred to or, or is known as actual cash value is equivalent to what we would call market value. It's not. Actual cash value is simply a depreciated value on what it would cost to rebuild something. Now, granted, that depreciation is relative to location, geography, uh, that is, year of construction, um, those types of things. So, for instance, let's use our 12-unit building where the million-dollar replacement cost on a you know, 10, 12,000-square-foot building like that, if it's 50 years old, its actual cash value may be quite a bit less than if it's 10 years old. So actual cash value, even though consistently in the smaller units, you know, the one to four families that a lot of us um, here on the phone tonight deal in, sometimes they're very close, but they're technically two different things. Market value is just that, you know, what you could buy or sell that for. And we all know that's a moving target these days. So the, the challenge that we run into in explaining those differences to our clients and people that we're working with is somebody may have gone out and spent $20,000 on a nice duplex the replacement cost may turn out to be 175,000. The actual cash value 100,000, and people are a lot of people scratch their heads thinking, well, why would I insure this to those levels of coverage when I just only put $20,000 into it? Mm-hmm. Really, the reason you would do that is again to circle all the way back around is what is your ultimate end plan in the event of a catastrophe for, for that location? In other words, if you know you want to rebuild it or replace it, put it back together on that same lot, then you know for sure you'd probably want to go with replacement cost coverage. If all you want to do is cover the debt or cover whatever you've got into it financially, walk from it and move on to the next one, then replacement cost is probably not the way to go. So, again, not to beat this drum again, but what it really boils down to, what do you really want to do with the property in the event that it's damaged or destroyed? 
Mm-hmm. And 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 again, the, the one of the questions, especially in in this economy, is always: uh, Do I go for the cheaper thing that's going to not create as much of a of a payout if I if there is a disaster or not? Because uh, you know, I, I when I the the only major insurance claim I've ever had was on a house that I paid twenty for it, and it was probably worth forty. It was just, it, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't much of a house. It wasn't much of a neighborhood. And it was uh, insured for 40. And, or so, or so I thought, I thought I understood what that meant. And uh, there was a uh, a fire and it was a fairly significant one. And the insurance company, uh, which was not yours, <laughs> came through, this was 15 years ago, came through and they told me how much they were going to pay me for each component of the house that had been destroyed. And, a furnace at the time cost $2,000 to put in, but because the furnace that was there was 15 years old mm-hmm. and they thought that furnaces only lasted 30 years, they wanted to give mm-hmm. me $1,000 instead of $2,000 for, sure. for the furnace. And I was very confused. I was like, how am I supposed to put a furnace in this house for $1,000? They said, oh, that's the appreciated value. You didn't you didn't lose $2,000. You, you only lost it. I lost a whole furnace. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Go find a 15-year-old furnace that I can buy for $1,000 and put in here? So Well, that... Go ahead. Not, not not to interrupt, but that's really the, the biggest difference between replacement costs and actual cash value, not just the amount of insurance that you have for that respective property, but how a partial loss is settled. For instance, if you, for lack of a better term, bite the bullet and insure that property to the parameters of what it is required to be insured to for replacement cost coverage, then in the event of a partial loss, that depreciation is not going to be levied against your claim. However, you say, well, I'm not going to insure that to $175,000 or whatever the replacement cost is for that 2,000-square-foot property. I'm just going to insure at the actual cash value of fifty or so thousand. Well, if that same, let's use a kitchen fire as a hypothetical example occurs, you're going to be depreciated on your claim settlement on a, really a line-item basis, whether it be flooring, wall covering, appliances that are part of, you know, permanently attached, typically you know, stoves, dishwashers, those types of things. So that's kind of your give and take. Now, as an investor myself, my theory is this. I'd rather go with that non-depreciated settlement, but pay a higher deductible or go with a higher deductible to offset the premium difference between a $150,000 replacement cost and, let's say, a $75,000 hypothetical actual cash value. In other words, my end benefit in the event of a claim is going to be net more with the replacement cost, even with twice the deductible, than it is with an actual cash value policy with a lower deductible, even though I'm paying less premium for it. Let me clarify that a little bit. Let's just assume here, real briefly, as briefly as we can, we've got a 1,000-square-foot property that we determined the replacement cost is $100,000. And again, this is for ease of math more than anything. We determined that the, the actual cash value is $50,000. Let's say we have um, a $1,000 deductible on the actual cash value policy, but a $2,500 deductible on the replacement cost policy. The premium for each of those, again, hypothetically, is the same. However, let's go back to our hypothetical kitchen fire. In the event that there's a $20,000 claim, the replacement cost policy, even taking away your deductible, may net you $17,500. On the actual cash value policy, however, before the $20,000 is determined, they're going to take depreciation on all those aforementioned light items, for instance. 
So you may end up with a $10,000 settlement before they even take the deductible away. So you end up with a $9,000 benefit versus a $17,500 benefit, but you paid the same in premium because you increased the deductible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Tim Norris from NREinsurance.com. You can call with your insurance questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Support comes from UC's College Conservatory of Music, presenting Of Mice and Men, May 13th through the 16th. Based on the classic novel of the same name, this powerful opera tells the story of two displaced farmhands during the Great Depression. When their journey leads them into trouble, one friend must make a tragic choice to save the other. Tickets and information at 556-4183 or ccm.uc.edu. Checking on traffic right now, two accidents, one Glendale-Milford at Evendale Drive, the other on North Bend near Vine Street, and then, of course, we have delays out of downtown, northbound 71 at Smith-Edwards, and again at Montgomery, northbound 75 from 74 through Paddock. Forecast tonight, variable cloudiness, some clouds, and then a little clearing, and then maybe a chance of showers tonight, a low around 55 degrees. Tomorrow, partly sunny in the morning, a chance of showers or thunderstorms later in the day, a high of 85. Chance of rain tomorrow has been reduced to 20%, So, uh, but it'll be back up to 50% tomorrow night, and then a 60% chance of rain on Friday. But uh, Saturday looks good, a high around 72 expected for Saturday. Right now, we are right around uh, 78 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Support comes from St. Vincent de Paul. In today's difficult economy, local families who have never had to ask for help are now in desperate need of food, clothing, and shelter. St. Vincent de Paul's vehicle donation program is a way for you to help. By donating your unneeded car, truck, or motorcycle, you can ensure that a needy family gets help with the basics to survive and may qualify for a tax deduction. For a free pickup, St. Vincent de Paul, 513-421-CARE. That's 513-421-CARE. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Tim Norris, who has been insuring our weird investor deals for, gosh, more than two decades at this point. And we're taking your calls and questions about anything related to insurance for real estate investors at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. You can also send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Tim, I have a question here via email from JC in Las Vegas. He says, please ask Tim about when you need true builder's risk insurance on a gut rehab. And before you answer the question, maybe you better say what, what builder's risk is. Builder's risk traditionally is coverage for builders, just that. When when a property or a dwelling or, for that matter, a a building is being constructed from the ground up, that's traditional builder's risk. There's some very well-known carriers. Zurich is one that comes to mind that's always been very active in the builder's risk market, again, for builders. Now, Traditionally, though, for the type of business, the type of um, work that we do as real estate investors, the one-to-four family markets, those types of things, even a gut rehab, there are carriers out there that will actually provide what are called what we call rehab policies, where you know the full value, the end value of that location, because it's not that indifferent from the original value that it may be, not, again, what you paid for it, but the original potential replacement value, 
you can pick up coverage through these specialty companies, these specialty programs, without having to go to a full-blown builder's risk. Now, gut rehab, however, a lot of these carriers that offer those rehab policies, there may be different parameters in different areas of the country on what they would consider to be acceptable to these rehab-type um, programs that they offer. So, again, it's probably more of a specific question, but that's a fairly comprehensive general answer, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Tim, uh, while we are awaiting other questions at askvina at gmail.com or at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658, let's talk about the general and then more specific types of insurance that uh, real estate entrepreneurs need to carry on their investment properties. I mean, the risk is, uh, the risk policy is almost not, you know, negotiable because most of us have mortgages against our properties and the bank insists that we carry coverage against the idea that they would have a $100,000 mortgage on a smoking hole in the ground. Sure. I think what it really boils down to is almost location by location. Even though you may have a schedule of um, single families in Butler County, Ohio, the characteristics of each one specifically may merit different types of coverage on each one. For instance, um, we alluded to it a few minutes ago, location A may merit replacement cost coverage because of its location, you know, its age, you know, the characteristics that make up the value of it may merit replacement cost coverage. Where location B on the same schedule or the same, I don't know, list of properties that you as an investor may own may not merit the replacement cost coverage. So I think not to beat that horse again, I think location by location, you should determine what makes the most sense for you as the investor. Um, you know, other coverages that you obviously need to keep in mind are things like loss of rents. Now, a lot of my clients that have multiple, multiple properties have realistically, whether it be due to the economy or just the economies of scale, have considered dropping loss of rents coverage because the end benefit for somebody who may be losing a $1,000 of monthly rent on a three-month claim may not be worth the premium to carry that coverage on, let's say, 50 locations. So again, it really is specific to what it is that makes the most sense for you and your business model. There's, um, you know, you need to make sure to or, or take your agent to task and make them un- make them go through with you the differences between um, basic form insurance, the 14 basic perils that are part of a named peril type policy broad form, which you'll pick up 11 more perils, or a special form, which is commonly referred to as all-risk insurance. Now, all-risk doesn't mean that everything's covered. It just means unless that peril is excluded, then that which causes the damage to the location is covered. Now, we can joke about how long the exclusion lists are in most insurance contracts, but things like earthquake, flood, ordinance or law, which I'll touch on here in a second, there are common exclusions in most insurance policies. Some of them you can buy back. You can buy earthquake insurance. You can buy flood insurance through the National Flood Insurance Program. And I know with what went on in Tennessee, just read a report today that not a lot of people understood that their flood insurance, even though it was required by the, their lender because of where the property was located, their flood insurance didn't actually pick up contents coverage. Now, whether they just didn't pay for it or weren't aware of it, you know, that's obviously relative to their specific situation. But again, special form, unless it's excluded, it's covered. And you need to be comfortable with those exclusions and whether or not you want to buy them back. 
I touched on a coverage called ordinance or law. I call that the bring you back up to code coverage. <laughs> the easiest way to illustrate this is through, through an example. You've got a four-family property, and one of the one of the units has a kitchen fire, and the, the damage is relegated to just that one unit. However, after your contractor's there and after your uh, insurance company's there and you're as happy as you can be with the settlement after a claim, the building inspector in that municipality comes out and says, well, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to um, hardwire all your smoke detectors and widen the doorways to meet ADA compliance in all the undamaged units. Ordinance or law is the coverage that helps you upgrade those or offset those costs for the upgrades that were caused by the damage to an, the other unit in the building. Um, it's, I call it the hidden or the unknown coverage because not a lot of people are aware of it. Now, on a single family, I don't know that it's that necessary. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to have that coverage on a single family, but single families from a code perspective, and this is a generalization, tend to be treated similarly whether they're owner-occupied or non-owner-occupied. I think when you get into multiple units, that's where that ordinance or law coverage is probably something you should consider so whether it makes sense, again, for your business model. You know, the, the list probably goes on and on, but those are kind of some of the highlights on things you should consider as an investor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and again, uh, each one of these things does add money to the policy. I mean, it's, if you're, if you're going to get loss of rents, that, that might add, you know, $20 to a $200 a year policy. If you're going to get the, the ordinance and law coverage, that, that's going to add a little bit more. So the question is always, do I save as much money as possible now uh, and risk that some, one of these, you know, lightning strikes is going to happen? Uh, or do I go for the more comprehensive insurance and, and know that I could be, I could pay for that for 30 years and never use it. You got it. Always, always a question, and and I know the way a lot of of property owners who own lots and lots of properties, you know, many single-family homes or lots of apartments handle it, is they they pay for as little insurance as they can, and they set aside the difference to, quote, self-insure. It's it's money that is is meant for losses that their insurance won't cover. So, um, you know, you kind of got to make up your own mind on this. we have another question here online from Maria in Atlanta. She says, can you please talk about contents and renter's insurance policies? Because I just sold a number of properties on land contract. I'm assuming she did the whole first time home buyer tax credit thing. Added my new buyers to my policies. And I understand that now they have to get insurance for their own contents. Would this be, rental, would, would this be renter's insurance or is there a different kind of contents policy? Yeah, that's typically referred to as renters or tenants insurance. And in tenants insurance, it's not only call it what it is, good karma to let your tenants or your renters know that your policy is not going to cover their contents. Well, the other thing your policy is typically not going to cover is their personal liability. So, for instance, while they're on the premises and somebody slips and falls and gets hurt, there's some typically liability insurance for the premises itself. However, when they're at their corner grocery store and they happen to turn the corner in their shopping cart and trip the little old lady, that's commonly referred to as personal liability insurance that typically follows you from a renter's policy or from a homeowner's policy. Well, your policy doesn't provide that. So that's the second thing that a tenant's insurance policy does that not a lot of people realize. Now, as an investor, I think it's probably the most important reason for your tenants to carry tenant's or renter's insurance is just what I described. Because 
let's use an example again, that kitchen fire that occurred in our prior hypothetical example. In the event that they cause it, where there's negligence, and the statistics that I've seen very recently are 60% of property claims are caused by negligent tenants, whether it be the proverbial candle burning at night that they forget about, you know, cigarettes on the couch, you know, the pot left boiling on the stove, those types of things. In the event that they cause it, if they have no insurance, no liability insurance, then, you know, we all know how tough it is to get rent checks out of folks every month. Can you imagine how tough it would be to get the $10,000 of damage that they just did to your unit out of them? Well, when they have renter's insurance, the liability coverage that is there provides, call it what it is, I refer to it as a buffer. There's an opportunity where your first-party coverage, that is the coverage that you have on the building itself or the property itself is there to protect you, that gives your company, in a lot of cases, you the potential to go back after now somebody with a little deeper pockets. And in this case, the insurance company that has the renter's insurance for that tenant. So whether it be a first-time homebuyer program or not, I think the fact that most people do, I believe, actually in their leases, not just encourage, but some even require to carry the renter's insurance. And when I'm in front of a group of investors speaking about insurance issues, I always ask by show of hands who requires renter's insurance in their leases, and most of the hands usually go up. Then I go on to ask, well, who in here enforces it? And, of course, many of those hands go right down. So the enforcement of it, most people don't realize, is very, very selfish in a way for you as the investor because it gives you some protection that you may not be aware of could have been there with their renter's insurance. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Maria, you uh, definitely need to make sure that, uh, particularly because these folks are really now homeowners legally, uh, that they have their contents covered and so on. And, Tim, I know you are a huge, huge proponent of it, the of investors themselves carrying the largest li- limit liability policy uh, that, that is reasonable and that they can afford. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, liability and... Um, Vina, you know me well enough to know I'm pretty much a smart aleck at heart. And when, when people ask me, is a million dollars of insurance enough? And I always joke and say, well, you tell me who's going to hit, who you're going to hit, or tell me who's going to sue you, and I'll tell you if it's enough. I think the one caveat everybody should be made aware of that your liability insurance, whether it be an umbrella policy, your underlying liability limits with a property policy, even your your car insurance, those types of things, that should not be the foundation of your asset protection strategy. The work that you do with your legal advisor, that is your attorney, even your accountant, your financial planner, that should be the foundation of protecting your assets. We still get calls from people that ask us, well, should I get an LLC to buy this property or do it in a trust? And and there are so many variables involved with that that obviously an insurance guy shouldn't be answering those questions. However, remember that the insurance – think of it this way, the the, – Strategies that you employ with those aforementioned advisors, think of that as your castle walls and your moat around your stuff. The insurance could be referred to or or thought of as the archer and the watchtower. It's a little bit of a perspective change for most people who think that, wow, I've got an umbrella. I'm I'm covered for everything. Well, we can joke all day long, but insurance policies have holes in them, have exclusions that we all like to joke about. That's why it's very, very important that the strategy that you put together with your advisors is what you really use as the foundation of protecting your assets. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but but again, as as I've heard you say many times, a, a two million dollar liability policy, which which by the way you don't buy for each individual property, <laughs> sure, uh, is is really not all that expensive. It's it's a few hundred dollars a year uh, at most, and uh, that's uh, given given the extent of potential liability that we uh, have as uh, folks who are oh, dealing agreed. with. Agreed. Yeah, I don't I don't think that the um, at least engaging in a conversation and getting proposals or getting a quote for additional liability insurance in the form of umbrella is a bad idea. However, I see a, I've seen a lot of people that will own their properties or control their properties in personal names, have done very little planning, or haven't looked at their asset protection planning in, in quite a few years that will go and spend that, even though it's a little bit of money, spend that money on that umbrella but not doing the background planning first. It's a little bit of the proverbial cart before the horse. So what I would encourage anybody to do is before you engage in purchasing additional insurance, make sure all your um, ducks are in a row, so to speak, on your asset protection strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need to take a quick break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Our numbers here in the studio are 772 or 877 You can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Support comes from Cincinnati Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. If someone you care about is visually impaired, there's an agency in town that understands the challenges you face and will surround you with caring people and helpful services. You can learn more at 513-221-8558 or at cincyblind.org. Cincinnati Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. No, you can. Checking on traffic right now. No accidents. No disabled cards. That's certainly good news. We do have some backups, however. Northbound 75, slow between 74 and Paddock. And again at Glendale Milford, it's slow northbound 71 between Smith Edwards and Stewart. And again, Montgomery to Pfeiffer. Norwood lateral a little heavier than usual westbound between Paddock and 75. And 71 southbound slows up between 275 and Pfeiffer. And then uh, you're on the brakes again around Reading. And it is about 13 minutes before 6 o'clock. Your weather forecast this evening calls for cloudy skies uh, this evening. Uh, maybe a little bit of a clearing late tonight, but also a chance of some more showers. Tonight's low around 62 degrees. Chance of more rain tonight, 30%. 20% chance of rain tomorrow with some sunshine as well. And then a 50% chance of rain tomorrow night and a 60% chance of rain on Friday. However, good news, Saturday and Sunday, at least this point, look dry. Right now, it is 78 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. And do not forget that you can fan Real Life Real Estate Investing by going to our website at realliferealestateradio.com. You'll be joining thousands upon thousands of other fans in getting weekly updates about real-life real estate investing, including articles by and about our guests. As a matter of fact, the article that went out yesterday was by Tim on uh, insurance gotchas for real estate investors. Again, that's realliferealestateradio.com to become a fan of real-life real estate. Um, Tim, I do want to get to, and and, and we're running short on time here, I do want to get to the question of uh, how we ensure creative deals, because I know that that's a that's a big big thing uh, here in 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 investor land. But uh, we did just get an email from DK. I don't know what the uh, what the thing is with initials today. Uh, please explain 
about ordinance and law coverage, is it usually covered or is it something that I have to ask for? Yeah, ordinance or law is typically one of those endorsements that you would have to ask for. Um, it's, it's usually not that expensive, but again, I would really encourage you to look at it for anything more than a single family. I'm not saying it's a bad idea to have on single families, but it's probably statistically not as necessary as it is on um, your duplexes and on up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, when, they, when, you, when you have a fire and, and when the building inspector comes and says, all right, you got to do this, 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 and this, and oh, by the way, you need a three-story tall fire escape that's going to cost you $15,000 because that's our yep. new rule. <laughs> Grandfathered when you bought it, but not after that claim. Exactly. Okay, so Tim, let, let, let's talk about... Um, the thing that that most insurance people can't even discuss intelligently, which is what the appropriate insurance is for these deals that we are doing, where we do things like take over someone else's mortgage, get the deed to the house, and then sell the deed, sell the property on land contract to to, to yet somebody again. The, confu- the the insurance gets very confusing. Who's supposed to be covered? Yeah, I think I think the easiest way, if you use this rule of thumb that if you, and when I say you, I mean you or your entity, if you own it, you should insure it. Remember we talked about being the first named insured is going to garner the predominant benefits of any insurance policy. So if you own it, you insure it. So let's let's talk sub two, let's subject two. You buy that property subject to the mortgage. You or your entity now hold deed, hold title. You own it. Um, a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, just name yourself as an additional insured on the prior owner's homeowner's policy. Well, there's a couple problems with that. First and foremost, typically a homeowner's policy will not cover a non-owner-occupied property. Well, most of the time you buy something subject to that old owner, the person that holds the mortgage still, is usually out of there and you've got somebody else in there, usually. So if that policy is for an owner-occupied property and the property is no longer owner-occupied, you could have a challenge potentially in the event of a claim. Um, The second thing, especially when it comes to naming you or your entity as an additional insured on that homeowner's policy, is let's just say it's a smaller claim and the insurance company doesn't do too much due diligence um, after the claim and finding out what's really going on, and they just decide to go ahead and cut a check. Well, if the other party, that is the person that used to own the home, is the party that's getting that check, good luck potentially tracking that check down from the insurance carrier. Now, I know there are some um, strategies you could employ, whether it be um, with the documents themselves, that is, with the contracts themselves, power of attorneys, those types of things. But, again, you're just kind of muddying the waters. Um, I've also had people that said, well, I left the old homeowner's policy in force. I went ahead and got the landlord policy that you recommended. Am I okay? Well, most insurance policies, especially in the property sections, I call them the dual policy trap. They have language in them that may say, our policy will pay in excess of any other insurance in force. Well, if you've got two policies that have that same language, who pays? Well, that's the, that's the $64,000 question. That's, again, the question that I don't want to have to deal with. If I own it, I'm going to insure it. A lot of investors will think, well, man, I sure as shoot and don't want that due-on-sale clause called. Well, I've been, you mentioned earlier, I've been doing this about 20 years and Knockwood, of all the deals that we've helped clients with on subject to insuring them properly, we've never had a loan called, Knockwood, I knock wood every time I say it, because the insurance changed. The few times, the rare occasion 
where an insurance or a mortgage company will call us and f- try to figure out what is going on, we simply inform them that, hey, you are named as you are appropriately. There's your loan number. You're now protected because the old property policy that existed was technically or could have been invalidated in the event of a claim, and now you're getting your your payments. The few times that that's ever occurred, that's more than satisfied the mortgage company we talked to. Now, what we do to try to avoid that call, frankly, we put that property on a landlord-type policy. We name the mortgagee as appropriate with the loan number as appropriate, and we name the prior owner, that party or that person that holds the mortgage still. We name them as an additional insured. Not to quiz anybody, but a few minutes ago I would mentioned how that additional insured would garner them liability protection. Typically on a landlord policy, it doesn't cost any additional to do that. And realistically, it's not doing anything other than realistically just keeping that mortgage company happy. They see their name. They see their loan number. They see the person that holds the mortgage. And more often than not, they're happy. They slap the uh, paper in the file and they move on to the next uh, work that they're doing. So, again, I think doing it the right way and ensuring that entity or you or that entity as the first named insured on any property that you own is probably the best rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. And now what about uh, another very common case in our business where a property is being held in a land trust in the name of a trustee, but the beneficiary of the land trust is an LLC? Who gets insured? Um, Again, I, I always lean back on if you own it, you insure it. That entity that owns it, if it is a trust, to me, the trust should be the first named insured, or at least a named insured on a master policy with multiple locations. Um, reason being is, as far as I understand and as far as I've been told, the trust language itself in the event of a claim, if the trust is cut the check, the trust will be able to deal with those proceeds in a manner described in the trust language. Now, I've had attorneys that want the trustee named on the policy. I've had attorneys that don't. I think it's relative to your attorney, and it could be relative to the state that you're in. But if it's the trust that owns it, to me, the trust should be the named insured. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if, as in many states, the it's not actually the trust's name that's on the deed, but rather the trustee. So in other words, mm-hmm. instead of saying, the 123 Easy Street Trust, it would say Tim Norris Trustee. Is it Tim Norris Trustee that is insured? Again, yeah, again, depending on the state, maybe the law and, and how the attorney wants it done, we usually go on how the attorney wants it done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, th- Tim, thank you very much for all your help today with uh, our various questions about insurance for the real estate investor. Uh, as always, very enlightening. And uh, now I got to go back and look at my policies again and make sure I've got that uh, law and ordinance coverage. <laughs> and uh, Tim will be among about uh, three dozen different vendors who will be joining us at the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati annual trade show. It's a week from Thursday. And it is not at the usual location. Don't go to the usual location. <laughs> go to receptions in Loveland. You can get more information and a map and so on by going to CincinnatiRia.com. That is open to the public and to all real estate investors and landlords in the region. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.
The Council on Aging of South 